0: www.legalisefreedom.com
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Jason Horsley who joins us to discuss some of the darker dimensions of the coronavirus crisis. For millions of people worldwide, the routines and rhythms of daily life have abruptly been put on hold. Superficially, the story behind it all, that of a raging global pandemic, is simple and straightforward. However, even official accounts vary from day to day and from place to place, as infection and death rates morph and change, and so-called experts contradict each other and themselves. In an era of 24-7 news, instantaneous global communications and self-reinforcing feedback loops, perhaps this is not so surprising. But this constantly changing narrative is driving increasing numbers into cognitive dissonance as they struggle to support beliefs and worldviews which are constantly being undermined by discrepancies in their daily diet of government and media pronouncements. Those with the temerity to actually question what is unfolding, may find themselves casually dismissed as conspiracy theorists. No thinking allowed, end of debate. However, the speed with which the populace has embraced the possible new normal of top-down command and control and swinging restrictions on personal freedom strongly suggests that what we are witnessing is social engineering on an unprecedented scale. It is the expansion of policies in place for decades for which we have been primed by propaganda and popular culture alike. Hello and welcome, Jason, and thank you so much for joining us once again on Legalized Freedom. Well, thanks, Greg. Here I am again. Today, surprise, surprise, uh, we're recording this in the midst of the so-called coronavirus epidemic, sorry, pandemic, correct myself of 2020. If people are listening to this in the future, I wonder what this will all sound like. We're going to be taking a bit of an askance look at some of the issues arising from what's going on at the minute. But in any event, before we start our chat, uh, for people who are coming to this fresh, just briefly let them know who you are and what you do.
0: Well, I'm a writer and a podcaster. I also run a thrift store in a small town called Hope, and that's in this particular case, for this particular subject that 's about the extent of my research to be honest, I mean just there in the trenches and not really in the trenches because there isn't much going on in hope as you know um but yeah that that's i haven't done a lot of research and I haven't written much about this. I did the one blog post which got your attention uh thesis of um a controlled demolition of the economy to introduce a carbon-based currency. Uh, That was a a theory my wife had that I unpacked recently at my blog. Um, But otherwise, as far as my interest in the coronavirus, I haven't done a great deal of research. It seems like there's no end. Once one starts on that trail, one may never leave it. So I really just kept to uh, just local investigation, you know, just, just talking to people locally to get a sense of more first hand of what's going on.
1: Well, I think that's a very valuable approach anyway. Um, we've got enough experts out there at the minute from, you know, of all colors uh, right across the spectrum uh, informing us that they in fact know exactly what's going on, uh, whether that's uh, the information that's coming to us from the the mainstream media or the authorities. And as I said, there's a host of other experts out there who all know exactly what this is all about. And in reality, I don't think anybody's got the complete picture. But I've spoken to a few people about this now, and I think I'm trying to glean as much insight into all of this as possible from my intuition uh, yes of course from talking to people I know and from observation to be honest with you a lot of the time and certainly you know the only expert knowledge if I want to put it like that, that I can offer and this is exactly what's right on my own doorstep and even then that's limited so mm. I wanted to just start by asking about something you have actually written a little bit about anyway uh, on your blog and you've you've uh, you've done a few you know live videos where you're kind of you know brainstorming and just you know stream of consciousness about this, just ask you about your local situation where you are um mm. because I think you used the phrase in something you wrote recently about having an insight into this, or, oh, for example, someone like you or I could offer would be quote a holographic fragment of the collective planetary experience, and you know that's a metaphor for all sorts of things about the nature of our existence. but give us a little glimpse of your holographic fragment.
0: well, the first thing. The first way that it's really affected me is in terms of planning, like I was planning with my wife uh, certain things, trips to Europe, for example, even the possibility of moving. uh, And we would started to plan that in early uh, February or late February, right before this began. And uh, so, of course, all those plans have been suspended. So that's been an interesting exercise because actually... We didn't really need to plan much, you know. If they were, if they were going to happen, it was going to be a couple of months still fr- from now, and uh, so you know the situation as it is just forced us to let go, let go, and let God as the expression. Like, well, if it's going to be, it's going to be. And, and so that's what we've done around that. Just, you know, the one area where it really has impacted us is just, okay, now we can't plan the future. And that seems like a positive thing up to a point, up to a point, as I say, there's only a limited amount of planning we could do or needed to do anyway. So really, most of it's just waiting to see what happens anyway. And that's a philosophical position, but also I'd say it's quite a pragmatic one too. So, so that was the first thing. Um, the the next thing is we run a, a, a thrift store business, so it, it became it's just our own business, our own private enterprise. In hope, uh, it's, a, it's a small shop. It's the only thrift store in town, and the town is about six thousand people if you include the suburbs. But our client base is probably about two hundred or something. Most most of the people don't come in to our thrift store, but there's a regular set of customers who do. A lot of them are elderly. So it became apparent pretty early on that this was quite likely to affect us. It just wasn't obvious how much. And um, some of our staff, we actually had various staff members because it's quite successful and it's quite tiring work. So we had three three regular staff members, actually four if you count an elderly person, who just worked a brief shift a week. Um, a, A couple of them were saying we should close, and we didn't feel that we should. So we said, well, no, we'll stay open, but none of you guys have to work. We'll just take over the shifts. And we reduced our hours accordingly. So, so it was just my wife and I, and it is just my wife and I now running the thrift store. We reduced our hours from from seven days a week, about seven hours a day, to five days a week, about uh, four and a half hours a day. And what we noticed after the first week, which was probably, uh, where are we now, Uh, mid-April, so it was probably sometime around mid-March where uh, things were really starting to change, Um, it was very slow. So it seemed like for a week or so it seemed like this is really going to be bad for us. Um, But after that first week, uh, things picked up. And so that just seemed more like a glitch than anything. And we've actually been making um, more or less the same daily, weekly income that we were when we had our full hours. So that's been very interesting. The other thing that I spoke about in the YouTube video recently was that although in our town, I mean, the official line that's coming through the local media, specifically the Pope Standard, is just a it's not a private paper it's actually run by conrad Conrad black who's a who's a um, a bigwig uh, media mogul in Canada um, but it's locally run and generally speaking there's really very little news in the hope standard but in the last few weeks it's all been covid 19 and there's there's been no uh, ambiguity about it it's just this is this is a pandemic and we have to all work together to to prevent it from spreading and uh, the mayor has been pushing you know the standard lines of self-quarantine and social distancing and uh you know inessential businesses to be closed and uh even used the phrase the new normal so he's, he's obviously referring to you know the larger narrative out there and replicating it and and the paper itself is replicating that as well so if if this is what sparked me to do this presentation recently because, uh, it, it, there was such a contrast between what I was reading in the paper and what I was experiencing on a daily basis in the thrift store, which is that people were still shopping, um, that they weren't social distancing. And when I asked them about it, about the, my wife and I, you know, ask all of our customers, maybe not all of them, but frequently we ask the customers what their experience is. Do they know anyone who's come down with the virus no it is almost always the answer um what do they think is going on and frequently the answer is well they don't really believe what they're hearing and they think it's more likely some sort of government uh agenda that is using and or creating or and or exaggerating this pandemic situation as a means to an end for um social re-engineering and um they have various different theories i mean i don't interview all my customers or anything but i have noticed that quite a few of them do have different theories and but the generally consistent line is that the pandemic seems to them to be very exaggerated if not false and that something else is going on and that's been my view until very recently and i mean we can get into that because people have started to say different things recently um And so I am. I mean, as I said at the start, the landscape keeps changing. You have to just keep recalibrating what I think I know, because I don't know anything about what's going on with this pandemic. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a medical professional. I don't work in that industry. I don't know anything about viruses. (laughs) You know, obviously, this is about as far as um, from my direct. my capacity to directly confirm as as a moon landing or something like that it's very far removed from our direct experience, except so far as maybe people get ill but even I mean that doesn't necessarily prove very much because people are always getting ill anyway, and we don't know necessarily what the causes are so um anyway I mean too long don't read version things are more or less They're certainly not the same in Hope because a lot of restaurants have closed and bars have closed and some businesses have closed and the reduction of hours and some people are self-quarantining and so on. But it's quite similar. It's not a really obvious contrast. And in my direct life, actually, almost nothing has really changed except that this thing is going on and I have endless conversations about it.
1: Well, of course, it's been a conspiracy theorists well I was going to say wet dream but possibly worst nightmare or whatever but they're having a field day what was interesting about uh, what you've been saying is that the sort of people that you might have had conversations or exchanges with who are expressing misgivings or doubts or they feel that things just don't add up are not the usual sort of person that you would expect you know not the guy with darting eyes and you know the black helicopter types. We
0: get those in too actually but yeah you're right That's, that's the minority. Yeah, yeah, of course and they're always there and they're
1: something like this comes along and they seem to come out of the woodwork but actually at any given time they're there all the time and everything's a conspiracy you know but I feel very much the same in terms of what I said at the top there about my my intuition because I've been here before we've both been around the block a few times we lived through 911 and lots of other big world events when obviously this didn't just happen overnight you know, it started out apparently in China and it took a few weeks to really fully get us to where we are now. My first reaction was, here we go again. Mm. And I thought this is, you know, that, there's just not something right about this. And somebody might say, well, you know, if you've ever had any doubts whatsoever about any official narrative, you'll think that about everything. And, you know, it, it's right to question everything, but um, up to a point, but obviously not to a paranoid point. But, you know, it's, I, I personally like to, Not to take things at face value, and if I read the instructions on a self-assembly piece of furniture, I don't necessarily call loads of people and research on the internet to make sure the instructions are not going to kill me. But I'll do you know my own due diligence in proportion to the situation.
0: Mm. But
1: everything about this from the get-go has been something not quite right here, and the difference I think between, say, for example, the situation we have now and the the other you know huge sort of consciousness changing global events that was 9-11 is that even though we, you know, we had the internet and we had 24 hour communication and instant global feedback loops at that time, that's just on steroids now. And it's made it both easier and more difficult to discern what's going on. If, you know, even if like someone like yourself, you're not really trying to get a global picture, but nonetheless, there's so much information out there, which on the face of it is good, but then there's so much noise and trash and, and I've, 90% plus of what's out there is noise, I'm convinced. But anyway, where I feel I am now is once again in some kind of twilight zone, or to use your expression, the invasion of the body snatchers, in amongst people that I know, that I that I work with, or even people I just see on the street, people who inhabit the same city as me. And it seemed that we'd pulled out of that for a while, and they'd got some light back in their eyes, and then suddenly it was like, Twilight Zone again and everybody seems to be going, just repeating the mantras all that jargon that was ready to go, social distancing two metres, two metres, self-isolating lockdown, lockdown all that stuff that just appeared to be ready in a box, you know, you just had to throw away the little styrofoam nuggets, you know, unpack it all <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's just become second nature apparently
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so how do you mean there was a, a light in the eyes for a little while
1: well, you know how it is, people are they they kind of they're dissatisfied with their lives. They think when they're when they're tripping along normally, uh, you know, I would like more of this, I'd like more of that. But then when something like this comes along, they can't wait to get back to that, you know, cold hard reality that they weren't liking. I I read a comment on something I posted a few days ago, and it wasn't aimed at me as such. It was just somebody reflecting and they said um, I I hate my job, but I'd love to get up early tomorrow morning. I'd love to get up at dawn tomorrow morning and go to the office. Mm-hmm. So what I mean is that in between these sorts of episodes, which seem to be kind of gathering pace, in between these sorts of episodes that that challenge our consciousness, people seem to get back to normality very quickly. What when I say normality, I mean just in their own terms. You know, when I say light in their eyes, I mean there's a, there's a flicker of of something there. It's not the, the dead-eyed zombie, you know, the two meters, you know, lockdown <laughs> sort of thing. Right. Almost but Was there
0: a period, were you saying it was a period when this first was a crisis that people were enjoying it?
1: I think so. And I think yeah. people have been entering into that experience at different stages. And I think I think for a lot of people now, it's because this isn't funny anymore.
0: Right. If you see, if you see yeah. what I
1: mean. I think you might have had that experience as well with, with people that you've heard from or interacted with.
0: Yeah, um, so uh, where are you situated and what? what's the state there in terms of lockdown? Are you in lockdown? Are people, that you, everyone that you know in lockdown? Because you're in Britain, but you're in Ireland, is that right?
1: No, I'm in
0: England. So, oh, you are in England, <coughs> so okay. So I, I do know more or less the situation then. You're, you're basically in perpetual lockdown and you're allowed out to exercise once in a while.
1: Yeah, but also yeah. you're allowed out to... There's nobody actually policing it other than your neighbors and the people in your neighborhood they don't have you know one of the uh, under political undercurrents in this country and i think probably many many other developed countries as well has been cutting resources for police so i mean there's been probably hundreds hundreds of thousands of police officer numbers have been cut in the uk in, in recent times so they don't exist they don't have the people to, you know, police a so-called lockdown. People talk about lockdown. That's a term from prisons, you know. You know, what happens in a lockdown in a prison, as people may know if they've watched any prison drama, is alarms go off and everybody has to go back to their cells and they're not allowed. It's, you know, when a riot breaks out or something. So I, I don't, I think maybe certainly psychologically you could call it a lockdown, but in physical terms it's not. I mean, every day here there's a little bit more traffic on the roads than there was the previous day.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that was the thing I got as well. So you, so these drones, you haven't heard any, anything about these because there was a... An article about that that they were using drones to police people,
1: yeah, there was one well known well publicized case. It may have been the only one, probably not, but it was well publicized It was a Derbyshire police who had um used drones to go into the the back end of nowhere and and find a couple of people walking their dogs or whatever. but they may have discovered you know a few people together, or whatever, but anyway, whether it was a good use of resources or not or whether it was justified under the current circumstances or not, it backfired horribly as far as publicity went.
0: Hmm. Well, when this first broke, uh, I tweeted something about, about how uh, COVID-19, how the whole thing was like the biggest story or biggest event about which there was the least to say. Um, and that was my initial feeling, was like something massive is happening, but there isn't really much to say about it. And obviously I've had to kind of go back on that because I've ended up talking about it an awful lot. I've done meetings on Zoom, I've done these YouTube things, I've written a piece about it. Um, So it seems like there's there's no end of ways to talk about this, but I still feel that um, a lot of them probably aren't that productive, and one of the problems, I think, is that it's so speculative. There seems to be so much speculation required, unless one simply believes the narrative out there, and as you know, there's the mainstream narrative, uh, which is it's a pandemic, and the government is implementing various different means to con- contain it, and that the economy is going to be hit, but the government's going to, you know, pro- provide support systems for that, and so on. You know, there's obviously quite a lot of ramifications that are acknowledged in in the official narrative, but it's all pretty much about how the government is going to sort all this out and just sit tight right that's the mainstream narrative then you've got the conspiracy i don't want to use that word conspiracy but the alternate versions that often do have conspiratorial aspects to them they certainly have uh covert or semi-covert agendas my own blog post addressed a few of those um and they tend to also be quite tidy like the those was the Truth Media video, twelve. Mon- we're living in twelve monkeys, what have you, which uh, I thought was quite well made, but it, and well argued, but it, it more or less kept it into a tidy package, which would not be incompatible with David Icke, Alex Jones. Um, not to disparage those individuals necessarily, but my point is, is that um, these narratives, in my view, uh, that are tidy enough and condensed enough and coherent enough that they can be summed up or, or, or laid out in an hour or two um, and not to be trusted because it just it just seems to me far more complicated than that. And so that leaves me in a difficult position when it comes to talking about it because um, if you don't speculate, You end up just with questions, really. I mean, starting from viruses, like do viruses exist? Have they proven that? That's a very good question, I think. But I can't do more than raise it. I mean, I can cite somebody I just listened to, David Crow, who seems to be doing some decent or credible research into this. But, of course, I can't follow up all the research he's doing right, so you never know, but anyway, just you know just starting with that like viruses do we even know what they are and if they exist But there's so many assumptions that we've got and and that are being uh used as building blocks currently to imprison us, you might say, but there's also there are also many assumptions in the paranoid mindset which are also being used in building uh, as building blocks to imprison us and and maddeningly that idea that. Building blocks are being assembled to imprison us is also a narrative you know that is being used to imprison us if you see what I mean because if it if it's triggers certain reactions in us this idea that we're being tricked that we're being manipulated that we're being uh, corralled into the new world order lockdown perpetual state of emergency martial law etc etc the biometric implant and all the that whole thing um if that's used in such a way that it triggers a fight-or-flight reaction, then we will actually end up behaving in ways that that do um, trap us, whether it's literally in terms of a, a social system. Obviously, we're not going to create that social system just by panicking, but we can help to justify the measures. But also, we can bring about a kind of internal lockdown. And as you're saying, that most of the policing in, in the UK is about um, people, people are doing the policing, right? But what, what I realized recently is that go, that's on both sides, if, if there's going to be sides, because it's not just uh, blindly trusting citizens policing each other bec- in order, you know, to make sure that they conform to the government party line about containing the pandemic, but it's also the alternate thinkers who say, no, this is the Orwellian future that we always knew was coming, and now we need to make sure that everybody wakes up and 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 you know protect ourselves or guard ourselves against those shills you know those sleepers who are who are pushing the agenda just by going along with it if you see what i mean so so then that faction is also policing you know both factions are policing each other so it's kind of like that milgram experiment you know the famous one with the guards and inmates where you pick you basically there's a group of ordinary people who volunteer and each of them choose whether they'll be guards or inmates, but with roughly the same number. and then they start enacting. The, uh, I, I talked about this live action role play. Um, and what they found, I, I don't know how reliable these findings are because it was a you know government sanctioned experiment, so they could have fudged it, but deliberately. but anyway, the official version is is that they got so into character that they ended up they had to stop the experiment because the the people pretending to be guards were brutalizing the people pretending to be prisoners and uh, so it's kind of like that on a macro scale we got this society that is through a combination of you know psychosocial principles of manipulation and engineering combined with this i mean that plays upon this inherent uh Tendency in human beings to get sucked into narratives, to live action role play, to get possessed mimetically by, you know, behavior that they're observing, and to double down schismogenesis is another principle I've written about, Gregory Bateson, that creates this divide where people find that they have to choose, consciously or unconsciously, which side they're on, and part of that choice is consolidated by um, pushing against the other side by policing or defending against the other side. So I think that that's something that's going on and that one could say that the alternate interpretations of COVID-19 can be just as instrumental in accelerating that, you know, divide and conquer policy as the as the official narrative couple of things there I mean the, the sort of black and white
1: tendency to black and white thinking either or thinking which we see uh, at, on most major subjects or you know across most major fault lines in society is amplified here you know people feeling the need to take sides that they have to decide what do you think and that uh, mm-hmm. this is seen as like a not only is it not a time for questions it's not a time for ambiguity you see, you know, yeah. uh, we see we know we can't have any of that uh, now is the time to you know to, to see clearly what's happening and to act yeah. Um, as it were you know as you might just mentioned whatever side you're you're coming from but yeah you use the term psychosocial and no matter what's going on with the actual pandemic itself if there is one you said a virus is even real i hadn't considered that wasn't aware that was still a question but i still haven't found out i don't think it's still been settled as to whether viruses are actually alive or not i think they display some of the attributes normally associated with a checklist for life but not all of them but whatever's happening to people who are actually ill and suffering out there, which as always, there are people out there right now um, who are ill and suffering and dying for various reasons. Um, for me, this is a psychosocial kind of event and, and a political one. And it's that which re- which really interests me because whatever's driving it, people are behaving in certain ways. Individuals, organizations, governments, they're doing things at the moment. They're doing things differently. They're acting, they're reacting Because of this, so even if it turned out to be absolutely nothing whatsoever, you know, literally like a cry wolf sort of false fire alarm, people are still reacting to it. This is why it's illegal to stand up in a cinema and shout fire, because people Uh people can get hurt as they scramble for the exit. Uh And I do think it's interesting that I've spoken to a lot of people about, you know, do you know anyone who's been affected by this direct, you know, who has become infected or is currently ill from it. And a lot of people have asked me the same thing. Do you know? It seems like sort of a network of people putting feelers out and trying to discover what the picture is. And of course, although the answer generally is no, or to be honest, has been exclusively no on my part and on the part of other people I've spoken to. It still is very difficult to discern the picture because there's so much conflation out there. I'm not going to, and I'm sure you don't want to either get into like numbers, but all the statistics and all the data coming at us, you can find so many different interpretations of it. You know, like, uh, did they die with the virus? Did they die of the virus? You know, what was it that, what was the last nail in the coffin? Was it the virus or was it their cancer, etc., and on and on.
0: And on and on, and also that there's many, I mean, it's COVID-19, so there's 18 other COVIDs, there's 18 other coronaviruses, and apparently many of those are in the human body, and benignly, and, you know, non, uh, without symptoms, and, and so then we also have to get into the uh, efficacy of the tests. Are these tests accurate, uh, or not, and, you know, th- so that's one more variable, and I mean, again, I can't even, I don't have it, in my consciousness enough to even start to list the variables now, but I know one could do a chart or what have you, a map and one would find so many different variables that are all being converged or corralled into a single statistic, let's say. Starting, as I say, with the whole thing of virus. I mean, if we really dig deep, um and we're not we can't even be sure about the science bit behind vi- virology, uh, then yeah, really it's like I think we're seeing the ways in which certainly narratives are created, consensus is created, and to some extent how those consensus are self-fulfilling. Because I mean, I mentioned this to somebody in the shop yesterday. As I say, I'm getting slightly alternate perspectives now because three people have spoken to me. Uh, I think two in the shop and one I forget anyway. But three people. One woman was online, but that they have direct experience working in hospitals or or otherwise, and and that they are seeing a spike in cases and so on, and that, that they're, you know this is kind of second, I'm getting this second hand, or for them it's first hand, that there is something going on uh, in terms of death. But with this person yesterday, who was kind of somewhat insistent, no, it is real, um, I found I needed to dial back a little bit and make sure I didn't react to that by just, Pushing the opposite perspective, and I, I mentioned that the, the placebo effect. You know, to what extent um, the amount of stress that's being generated around this narrative, as goes without saying, uh, that stress itself can impact you know the health of people, particularly old people, pe- you know, people generally who are susceptible. Um, a lot of it's around breathing and the lungs, of course stress interferes with breathing anyway. Um, the placebo effect, uh, I think, is quite well known. I mean, it's highly effective in terms of cures. So it stands to reason it would also be effective in terms of diseases. If you tell people that they're going to catch some killer virus if they're not careful, um, they might start to generate the symptoms within themselves, uh, whether, you know, whole cloth. Entirely psychosomatically, or possibly other environmental factors, and again back to these variables. How many variables are there on the map? I mean, 5G is another one, isn't it? Like this has just been launched. Uh, we don't know. I mean, maybe there are really severe effects from 5G that are obs- observable. It seems likely, in fact, based on what I've read. So maybe this is one of them. I mean, that's just. I don't want to speculate or theorise. I just want to keep uh, introducing the possibility that there's so many variables that aren't being considered and if we start to include them all on the table then the narrative just collapses more or less completely
1: well ultimately at the bottom of every death certificate certificate you're going to have killed by death so if they're allowing to, to happen as what seems to be happening which is like okay that gets counted towards the nightly death toll of this pandemic then even just to be on the safe side, that's very, that's extremely disingenuous. You can't do that. But once again, it's a case of now is not the time for questions. Now is not the time for you know. Better to be on the safe side. Yeah. Uh, better yeah. to better to count everyone who dies, um, who has got some kind of respiratory thing going on, as dying from this uh, virus. And then presumably, at some point in the future, what do you think? Oh yeah, we'll, we'll let you have the lower figure later on once we have time to. Well, they won't have time because I don't even know what they're doing with all these bodies at the minute, apparently. If funerals are not happening, presumably cremations are not happening outside of, you know, hospitals where bodies are just being shoveled into a furnace. I don't know. Um, we hear in Scotland recently where there's no longer issuing, issuing death certificates or that a cause of death was being given by a doctor or other uh, medical professional without seeing the body. Basically, kind of, uh, somebody on the other end of the phone going, "Oh well, tell me what do they look like?" Uh, pretty bad. Okay, COVID nineteen. Mm.
0: It's really, I mean, one of the things that's constantly surprising me is how quickly people have gone along with this narrative, and in a number of different ways. The most obvious way, how quickly they've gone along with the, with the uh, socio-political mandates. That obviously is surprising how compliant people have been, but even. This whole thing of a pandemic, it's as though people have been primed, and I guess it's not as though. They have. We have been primed by movies and TV shows. Not that there have been that many, but there's been enough. And I guess there's a lot of movies that aren't directly about pandemics in terms of viruses, but they're similar, whether it's alien invasion or... or um all kinds of things, you know, where, where a country's taken over, a town is taken over, and people have to band together to fight it, this, whether it's an invisible threat or a visible threat, um, it seems as though we've been propagandized with these narratives in so many different forms, including, uh in smaller number, the actual pandemic movies, I mean, the, the Steve Sodenberg one, was the recent example that was number one on Netflix because of this? People watching, it, I rewatched it, and it was quite disturbing how how uh, irresponsible it was. I would say in terms of advocating for government intervention and making the World Health, Health Organization seem like the good guys, and just really no nuance whatsoever, no acknowledgement of corruption or manipulation. Anyway, that was just a side point, but. Uh, yeah, how is it that people are so quick to go along <laughs> with this idea of a pandemic when we don't have direct experience of it, really? Or, or at least, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of double thing here because, in a certain sense, we do, as in things like the flu, or every year. You know, every year, thousands, millions of people die of the flu every year, and, and we don't even pay attention to that. So, on the one hand, we do, we do have direct experience of of epidemics, but but we don't even notice them because it's just part of nature, I guess. Uh, But on the other hand, like a pandemic that actually causes, um, you know, the machinery of the state and the military and all that to come into action just as in a movie, we don't have experience of that. And yet, now we do. and, And in a certain sense, we've taken to it like fish to water. Although, as you say, people are starting to, you know they're starting to reject the program I think like this TV show's gone on too long now it was fun yeah. to begin with but I'm not really buying it now um, so I wonder if they're also questioning well why, why did I buy it so quickly to begin with as if as if this whole stu- narrative about a pandemic was one that we'd already confirmed you know through history yeah, we know what to do when there's a pandemic and now we're doing it right it's as if people were already trained for this it's strange
1: Well, they they were in many ways, or we have been, absolutely, and not just through previous pandemics and epidemics and or terrorist attacks or whatever. But you know, it's that they're certainly a big part of it. But it's 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 the the underlying narrative, really, in many ways. Um, It has increasingly been in in, certainly since the turn of millennium, anyway. But we just spoke a moment ago, and I had exactly the same reaction, exactly the same sentiment. About the speed at which people went along and seemed to buy into and had their costumes for the movie ready to go, they were wearing them underneath their ordinary clothes anyway, so all they had to do was take those off and they were ready to go and it oh. was it was like a trap door had been opened. it went from one state of affairs to the new normal boom, just like that, there was no kind of like oh one one by one that seemed to just happen like literally as I say, like walking into the twilight zone and oh. He also spoke about some of the narratives in these, you know, apocalyptic movies being about uh, government and the military riding in to save the day. People pull together. That's one of the common tropes in disaster movies, for example, is you know, people discovering their humanity and their interconnectedness. Mm. Now, there that there's a lot made of that in the media at the moment. There are constant examples of, you know, people making deliveries of food parcels and not hugging old people because that could be the last thing you ever do to them, but you know, but sort of virtual hugs across the, the interwebs. All of that aside, what I feel, even if it's very low level, you know, it's not, it's not very overt or aggressive, but even if it's just simmering there is divisiveness. It's mistrust, suspicion. It's like the lives of others, you know, that movie about East Germany under the, under communism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there, there, there might be a lot of pulling together. But what I experience personally is like I feel like somewhere like a grocery store now, like uh, opposite charge, you know, like re- repelling magnets. I don't know if you ever played around with magnets when you were a schoolboy, you know, when you got that you're trying to push two magnets together with an o- o- opposing charge, and, mm-hmm. and how that that's what it feels like around other human beings at the minute. Not so much me, but I feel like other people are pinging off me, you know, like mm. I, like I'm repelling them without wanting to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I only notice it in our grocery stores. I don't notice it in our thrift store—not hardly at all. Um, as I say, people aren't practicing social distancing in a shop with us, and um, they don't seem to, you know, back away if I'm coming towards them in the aisle. It's a very small shop, so it's pretty hard to avoid even physical contact if, we're, if I'm moving around the shop. Uh, in the grocery store, I do notice it sometimes. Uh, And I've noticed quite early on how contagious it is, actually. Because as soon as I feel, and it's hard, sometimes it's so subtle, I wonder if I I started it. But as soon as I feel that a person is on edge because of this pandemic belief um, and that they're seeing me as a potential threat, not personally, obviously, not like I'm a psychopath, but still, you know, um, I start to feel... Quite tense as well, and I start to want to keep my distance in order not to trigger their their panic response. Right, so that that obviously that creates tension. That is by definition tension, and uh, it's very it's very mimetic. How sensitive we are to other people's body language, biorhythms. What well, you know? Who knows the various different ways that people communicate. Um, and I, I really found a lot of mileage in this, the correlation between the external lockdown and the internal lockdown. I've been blogging about the latter for a few weeks now, and it seems in, entirely coincidental with the fact that we're in a global lockdown, or many countries are in lockdown now, uh, socially speaking, is um, this uh, area that I've been exploring about the The fascia and the nervous system, and how, due to trauma, um, the the fascia um, like freezes, uh, get you know gets gets fixed in in a like a mesh around the nervous system because it's supposed to be fluid and changing the fascia, Um, but because of these shocks, it it becomes inert. Let's say I don't know the biology of it very well, but and, and. the nervous system that the fascia is in, you know, wrapped around, or coexistent with, then also goes into lockdown, and and therefore our bodies, you know, our bodies are constantly tensed up. Like we we barely ever relax. So that and that to me is a very important area to look at. Like in terms of you know, exploring prisoner of infinity, um, the relation between trauma and psychological fragmentation and mind control and social engineering. There's a whole spectrum there. Of course, part of the conspiracy narratives, you know, MK Ultra, mind control, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they don't look into much the the physiological basis of this. You know, what trauma? How, in order to affect us psychologically, it has to affect us physiologically. Like as as children, as infants, we are um experiencing the world through affect just perceptually we don't even have cognitive faculties at that age so it's not impairing our cognitive faculties it's impairing our physiology and i think it's why this 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 um process i described uh, with the fascia and the nervous system and this internalized lockdown so so yeah when i go to the grocery store um I mean, it's not as though people weren't already in this internal lockdown anyway. It's not as though people weren't already flinching and recoiling from each other constantly in very subtle ways, because we're all afraid of each other in our current society, you know, because we're so disconnected, we've lost the sense of community and trust. But now it's been intensified. It's you know, it's it's, it's more observable, and it's observable if one, if I observe my own nervous system. Uh, how mimetic it is. Like as soon as I feel somebody's nervous system tense up, mine tenses up.
1: And
0: so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it can escalate in that way.
1: Yeah, I've commented and written recently about what's happening with you know so-called lockdown and self-isolating and everything as almost just like a, a hyper-extended version of trends that were already in place. You know, exactly people to be spending time on their own, locked away, Playing computer games, whatever it is, you know, just a lot of the, you know, social institutions that existed in the past, even something as simple uh, in the UK, for example, as, as the pub, you know, so many of those closing down. It's all become very, yeah. very much about people in their own little isolated cells doing their own thing for various reasons, but partly because of it's a dangerous place out there. And, you know, people are not so good at interacting with each other as they used to be. And so much of our social interaction is virtual these days you know it is with people we don't know we've never met we never will know or meet but we somehow think we've met them and know them whatever it happens to be so that that virtual world becomes much more appealing than the sort of awkward difficult 3d real world that requires some kind of commitment yeah and all of that puts us in not a particularly good position to deal with all of this you know normally if you're if you have to go on undergo Great, not only physical stress, but particularly psychological stress, you know, what you bring to the table in terms of your own mental, emotional strength can make a difference between survival or not. And so it seemed to me to kind of reflect back what you were saying a moment ago that we're, we were, we were a a species with an already not only weakened physical immune system, but sort of a weakened psychological and emotional immune system. So when this kind of hits, Already, some of us were coughing and wheezing.
0: hmm Yeah, there's definitely, there's a, there definitely is a. It would be a correlation, wouldn't there, between a nervous system that's that's unnaturally tensed up and can't relax, and a weak immune system. Because we're not. I mean, even say that about the cold. Like, if you tense up against the cold, then you you feel the cold more. Whereas if you relax, then you you know your body can adapt more easily. So that would be the case with with countless different things. You know that. The more tensed up we are, the more more vulnerable we are in, in a negative sense, because we're actually trying to keep something out, but we're preventing the body from just naturally processing whatever's coming in. Yeah.
1: One thing I've noticed regarding this idea of us all policing each other, and indeed ourselves, there's one thing that I've, you know, sort of trend that particularly disturbs me, is not simply those who think they're doing the right thing or are trying to do the right thing without thinking, they just feel that they have to parrot two meters and lock down and self isolating and, you know, wear masks or whatever. That's just that's the new currency. You know, they're just being good citizens. But those who appear to have waited for this moment kind of all their lives, and there are clearly some people who fall into that category, you know, the sort of uh, brown shirt type, you know, the people who will the sort of special constables, you know, the special psychic constables, you know, are out there to assist the police in doing their work. I'm thinking a news story I heard today was about basically, I know you've mentioned this actually, but I can't remember what country it was in, but it was, it was somewhere in mainland Europe anyway, uh, Eastern Europe and about basically what amounts to nothing less than vigilantes um, yeah. going around where you know, where the police are not and basically shoving people back into their homes and and the idea being that they have some kind of unwritten mandate to do this, like who's going to argue with them, you know, and if that, if somebody doesn't like their behavior and calls the police, that the police are going to go, well, you know, actually they're right. And so there's this kind of anti-intellectual celebration going on at the minute. And a lot of people who a little bit, there's a crossover with the people we mentioned earlier who, who seem to have like found their moment. And, those who thought it would be great to live in, you know, a zombie movie or, you know, The Walking Dead, whatever, uh, suddenly finding that that wears thin very quickly. I wonder how, and, and all of the things, all of the potential negative hangovers from this, how those people who felt very empowered or kind of, you know, previously who previously who perhaps were completely powerless or felt that way, how they will, how all the, how, how will extricate ourselves from all of this and that's a much bigger question which i'd like to get to before we finish but basically for me the biggest impact of all this is everything apart from the physical illness it's you know the the physical illness itself is is probably in terms of impact and i know a lot of people will dispute this bitterly it's probably if not at the bottom of the list then close to it
0: yeah well that's something i i just can't comment on i mean that last thing um except at a meta level, which I tried to, again, with this customer in the shop yesterday, I'm not sure how, how responsible it is or not, but that, as you've mentioned, I mean, death comes to us all, we all die of death, and, you know, a virus, and even a pandemic, is, is, is an aspect of death, and, um, so, I mean, the, there may be, uh, I mean, this is such a large subject, isn't it? But it seems to me, I mean, to, to keep it a, a kind of basic philosophical level even, but also practical, that the, more, the less people are able to accept the reality of death, the more problem they're going to have with a, with a pandemic and the idea of a pandemic. And, you know, pan there's also panic i'm not sure why there's that correlation it's the great god pan actually isn't it because which signified the all Pan was was the god of all in some way and but the response to pan's presence was panic so there's something about the pandemic which makes death a collective event potentially the idea is it could wipe out the whole species um that i mean obviously that amplifies people's personal fear of death but it also takes it to another level entirely, I think. Um, but there's again, there's a, there's a weird uh, dichotomy there, or there's two sides to that, because I think many people do like the idea of living in the end times or the apocalypse. If everybody dies, it'll be much easier for them to die. So I think there's a mental level at which it's quite exciting, this idea that, you know the population might be decimated and, and the streets will all be abandoned, and it will be like twenty eight days later and and so on uh, i mean this feeling that there's too many people, and that feeling is is an experiential one it's not just a a bad attitude or uh it's because you know we don't have community we don't have a feeling of connecting to each other, and the more people there are around us. Uh, lonely in the crowd right the harder it is to connect we know that on an experiential level if you go out with 30 people it's pretty hard to connect to all of them certainly if you're all trying to have one conversation like at the big dinner table it's not going to happen whereas it's one-to-one you can connect so there's something about it's not just overpopulation because that's that's an idea i mean we don't really know how many bodies the earth could support if if there was a different system but it has to do with um the system that we have which on the one hand turns people into kind of automatons who are just part of a a, like a machine-like society and on the other hand it connects us all together in this superficial literally machine sense so we have a growing sense of being part of a huge population that we're connected to only in a superficial way but not at all in a deep way like there isn't empathy or trust or love between us and those eight billion individuals that we're made aware of or even between the people in our neighborhood especially if we live in london or a big city so so then i mean i'm not sure i'm going with this because it's such a large subject but this 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 possibility that we're that death is something that's coming for all of us, which of course it is individually and, and collectively too like everybody who's alive now will be dead and everyone who's, who's ever going to be born will eventually be dead so by that logic, eventually everybody will be dead, right, eventually the earth will die and, or the sun will die or something but without, short of transhumanism or heaven, not to put those two make them equivalent but I mean short of a, uh, of a metaphysical you know, end point or some crazy scientific one. Essentially, we were all on that, that zero curve or whatever it is in Fight Club, you know, Everything, everything ends with death. And, um, I mean, I want to try and tie this back to some of the things you said, but as I said, it's, it's very large, so I'm just talking all over in many different things here. But what, one of the things that I think increases... Our fear of death is our lack of embodiment, um, and our, you know, reduction to just a mental sort of compartment of, of an identity, they call it, the transhumans call it a beman, if all we are are our opinions and our beliefs and our memories, um, that's the thing that absolutely is going to get wiped out, and that kind of has no reality in and of itself anyway so there's some inherent terror in that and that's also our isolation our sense of isolation whereas as human bodies first of all the body knows death it knows about death because it's built into it um and and so it i don't think the human body fears death how could it i mean why would it? it it has adrenaline in order to avoid deadly situations but that's not the same as as living in fear of death or having some you know philosophical fear about death uh, that's a very different thing and secondly as human bodies we're all we're aware of our connection just like trees or bees or ants or anything else in nature we're all deeply interconnected at a physical physiological level and so there would be something in that that well death isn't the end even in the physical sense because other you know other parts of the collective human continue whether we have descendants or not um so so yeah having lost that um we're i think we're getting forced further and further into a sort of panic room of our own identities which as you were saying is is emphasized was already happening but now it's been accelerated by the the voluntary self-quarantining, which involves also a voluntary symbiosis with the technology, whereby we live more and more through our technology, although like you and I now, although we still connect through the technology, it's a different kind of connection that's much safer, much less embodied, and actually includes connecting to, you know, nobody at all watching porn or playing video games or watching Netflix. There's nobody on the other end of those channels, right? They're just they're just simulacra, mm-hmm. so so they don't lead anywhere. But they do they do keep out the terrifying awareness of other human beings of our own body. I mean, it's weird, but I would say our own bodies have become terrifying to us in some way, probably because of all the trauma in them, and also because they're going to die. You no. Know? that our bodies remind us that we're going to die, and a pandemic sure as hell does that so i mean we could we could get into this like uh terror management theory and so on That's, uh 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 sheldon solomon i think uh Ernest Becker this whole thing like it, the fear of death, if it's used in the right way, will trigger human beings into all kinds of behaviors that they wouldn't they will buy stuff they wouldn't buy they will do things they wouldn't do, you know they will. Make decisions they would never make. They will have emotions they wouldn't normally have. Um, it's such a powerful lever for social control. So a pandemic, as I say, that takes it to a whole other level. And yeah, I think it. They've got this narrative that's bringing out the best in people. But yeah, I don't. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think. I think that's only true if, if we're really. I mean, it might be true in in communities and I'm not saying there isn't that aspect of it, but to bring it back, if I can finally, you know, to my own experience, that is all I've got, so although I can't say there isn't a pandemic, I can say that the pandemic hasn't arrived where I, where I am currently, um, and that, um, well, I can't say I'm not afraid of death, but I, I don't have a problem with death, and so if, if the pandemic comes, then I'll just deal with it. It's just part, I mean, maybe it's part of nature, or maybe it isn't, but it's certainly part of, it becomes part of existence. And, um, I have to rely on my own, like you were saying about, you buy a, a thing, and you've got instruction manual, you don't necessarily just follow it, right? You, maybe you can put it together yourself, that's my way, I'll, I'll, I'll use the manual if I need it, but I don't just think, oh, I should follow the manual like a robot. So, I don't know how I would respond to a pandemic or whatever, to a local epidemic, um, but maybe I'll find out. But I would want to find out by responding, not by following some social mandate. And that's what people are being prevented from doing. You know, They're, they're just being given the ABCs and if you stick to them, you'll survive, right? Like the Terminator, come with me if you want to live, kind of thing. And you know, people are afraid enough they'll just obey robotically. But they won't um that's only in their minds like if their bodies are feeling something else and trying to respond in other ways they're having to suppress that going to lockdown and so on then there's going to be a corresponding reaction against that and so we maybe would see that in the population you've got a whole bunch of people who are who are um meekly complying and then you've got this other maybe smaller demographic that are kind of saying fuck this shit but then don't well, they've got protesters now, so there is that too. But then there's the guys that want to be vigilantes; they they want to live this drama, this narrative, and live-action role-play it, but not just by hiding at home and watching Netflix, right? So then they get they they get to patrol and parole and 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 and, and you know be in that particular role and to manage their own terror, you know, in more aggressive ways.
1: I I know some commentators, you know, people whose work I respect and I follow what they have to say on the, the big questions of the day and uh, there's certainly more than one who are not refusing to address what's going on at the minute but they're, they're not terribly interested and I understand why because on one level, uh, it's just the next thing really um, but whatever sort of physical or psycho drama that people individually or collectively find themselves caught up in in the moment, is can be all-encompassing. So I well remember 9-11 happening. I remember the day getting up, uh, working from home at the time, and I didn't turn on any radio or television until lunchtime. And when I did, lo and behold, this is what was happening. And I remember what happened during the rest of the day. I met up with some colleagues, business things, and and one of them was listening to the radio all day and going, I'm scared, I'm scared. I'm really scared of what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, most people probably right across the world for quite a while after that, um, particularly in that sort of, that moment, like, you know, when you fire a gun and all the oxygen's been sucked out of the air, until it returns, uh, there's that, what's going to happen? You know, just that feels like a split second, or it's a split second, but it feels like longer. Uh, basically, yeah. probably until uh, the American troops went into Afghanistan, when you could actually see, okay, there's something's happening, now there's some kind of response everybody was like so afraid and but for a long time after that it was like the future of the world is now going to be dictated by the response to this terrorist attack. Everything about our lives is going to change. 9/11 changed everything man and for, yeah. for a while it did seem like that but then at some point it became just another... Not footnote well, quite, but it just it became another historical event. So, you know,
0: that but it also became the new normal, didn't it? Uh, it
1: did. Well, yeah. There's two dimensions to this. It, it did become the new normal in many ways. Some of what some of people's worst fears were not manifested, did not come to pass. But yeah, one of my concerns about what's happening now is at what we're going to be left with. That's the thing. If personally, aside from getting ill, then the thing that concerns me the most um is is what we're left with after this. What gets put in place, whether it's people's individual uh, psychology or whether it's our collectively or whether it's on a more practical level to do with you know the systems we depend on, you know, economics, politics, um, yeah. uh, restrictions on our freedoms. That'll be the real reckoning in all of this. And we know that again, something that we've seen in the wake of past events of um, maybe not on comparable scale, but sort of uh, they, they felt as bad at the time was that Anything, you know, under the, the rubric of the new normal can be ramped up at any time. So we, we can all think of the airport security that was put in place after 9-11 that we're still living with, even though mm. some of it, like taking off your shoes, is it can all be traced back to the, the shoe bomber, which was never practical, never could have happened anyway. So at some point in the future, at any point, a government could conceivably say the World Health Organization, whoever could say, Oh, we've had a few cases here, lockdown, or there's a new outbreak, lockdown. And people may initially, certainly anyway, be less likely to question that, say, hang on a minute, are you sure? Because it'll be the reflex action. It'll be, no, like, batten down the hatches. And even if you don't take it away from an official capacity. I think there's going to be people social distancing for a long time to come, just doing their own thing as it were, freelancing. There's going to be people going on two metres lockdown you know, (laughs) social distancing, mumbling under their breath as they shuffle along the streets there's going to be, somebody's going to cough in a checkout line at supermarket this time next year and it'll be evacuate, you know
0: Well, you know, we haven't even got into the economy, not that I'm uh, you know knowledgeable to talk about the economy, but it doesn't take you know, much to see that there's going to be massive, or there are already massive uh, repercussions in the economy. Uh, and you know to what extent is the economy I mean, I'm not sure I'll be able to articulate this. And I, I wrote very little bit about it and. In the Vice of Kings, which is the first time I'd heard of John Maynard Keynes, was researching that in the Fabian Society and how he, you know, he, he was the, the brain behind the modern economy very much. Um, and there's something about how the economy, and I mean, you trace this all the way back, and almost in a philosophical way, to, you know, that devolution or degeneration from, you know, gold to paper, and now all the way to digital, and what's next? You know, what's the next iteration in the cash of society? A new currency, I suspect. As I say, possibly one that is backed by carbon, which is a negative currency, and the convergence there between the, uh, what, what uh, might be called an idle economy, as in, uh, to be part of the new carbon-based economy, you have to be idle, you have to do nothing, and let let our rulers, you know. It, it, it run industry and enjoy the parks and and have the planet the playground you get to stay at home and earn carbon credit points by doing nothing right so but i oh, actually wasn't where i was going to go with this was that i think that over the, there's been an evolution or a social uh progression i think via the how can we call this, the economization of society, or social, it's a social economy by which more and more, of I mean, it goes without saying that the world is, money makes the world go around, you know, the economy is what shapes the world, um, and, and the world is what shapes us as individuals, and I think the end point of this, metaphorically speaking, is to turn human beings into currency, so that they can be moved around like numbers. And so I said, that, that's quite an abstract idea, although it does take us right into matrix territory. Um, and and so, but anyway, I mean, we put that sort of on the shelf now, as, as just as a model to try and talk about a big picture. Then, uh, if you want to radically reconfigure society and the way that human beings move in society, then you you start with the economy, or the economy is kind of the core of that. And um, that seems to me what what is likely to happen. Like, yes, we can talk about the the political infringements on freedom and so on and so forth, but a large part of it that perhaps many of the more paranoid folk or the conspiracy theorizing folk aren't necessarily seeing or acknowledging is, is that it's not going to be enforced it'll be enforceable but it won't have to be enforced because there'll be such compliance and so then we could see how we have been primed not just for a pandemic and for 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 these kind of measures that we're seeing but also for something like universal basic income for example i mean the socialist kind of underlayer to um political socio-political changes over the last hundred years uh and now of course the environment the massive thing i mean how extinction rebellion seemed to lead sort of organically on to covid19 at least for me i mean the last thing i was looking at on a large scale social engineering level was was extinction the extinction rebellion what's all that about and this this very strong green agenda that was saying you know we need to Stop society the way it's going, bring it bring it to a halt, and and then suddenly society is brought to a halt by this. And it seems to me, and there are documents of this. I include them in my piece at the blog um, that have suggested. Well, number one, that there was a, an economic cl- clash was predicted for 2020. So I've used the analogy of controlled demolition. If a building's coming down, then you don't just wait for it to fall down. You you set up the charges and that you, you know, quarantine it, if that's the word, on it so that, you know, you have control of the demolition. So, uh, there's that, that it was anticipated, but also documentation that, um, if we're going to reconfigure society in a way that's more environmentally responsible, and I put that with scare quotes because I believe that that's it's all pretext, but anyway, that appears more environmentally, uh, friendly, then, what are some of the um possible means to that end or what are some of the circumstances that might facilitate bringing about such an end um and the pandemic was one of them was considered for that so so there does seem to be like a convergence of interest there and of whatever we'd call that, more than social trends because they're things that are just inevitably happening and that can be anticipated. I'm pretty sure that people who know about the economy who saw what happened in 2008, certainly they knew it was going to happen again and it probably wasn't that difficult to map to some extent, you know, when it was likely to happen and how and you know, why and where. Um, and then with other things in terms of, you know, how to... Introduce new social regimes and policies, and possibly a new currency in such a way that people will accept it. What are some of the potential elements that can be used to create a narrative or a context in which those agendas can be un- unfold? Uh, I'm quite wary about talking about the big picture because I know how quickly it becomes the, you know, the alleged conspiracy theory, because that's what people hear. I know that people will listen to this and they'll hear it and they'll, they'll, they might not think this sounds like a conspiracy theory because they might be sympathetic, but they will kind of think of it in that context that's been, that they're familiar with. Um, but I don't see this as a conspiracy per se. I don't think it's secret. I don't think it's criminal. Uh, uh, it's, it's social engineering. And we can see how social engineering unfolds, at least with hindsight. 2020 is hindsight, right?
1: No, nope, this is, I, I get what you're saying about conspiracy and I totally agree and people will hear what they want to hear up to a point. Uh, but what you're saying is perfectly plausible and it, some of the things that concern me that I've already mentioned that you've just also reflected are the idea of, um, some kind of social credit system, you know, where we get points for good behavior, uh, like they have in China. The idea that travel will be limited. Perhaps there might be a scenario whereby, um, you would need to get inoculated or vaccinated. In order to get a certificate to allow you to travel, a bit like just getting a passport, that's perfectly feasible in the light of what's happening at the minute. A lot of people would see that as not unreasonable. Um, The idea of um, universal basic income, for people who don't know, that's a basic amount of money just given to you, like being on the dole, but not couched in such negative terms. Uh, So, you know, a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds or two thousand, whatever, per month guaranteed to everybody, no matter what your income is otherwise. The idea being that you can basically get by, you can live in a micro apartment and eat micro amounts of food and just exist on that money. Anything above that is a bonus. And then the idea also of a purely digital currency based on whatever it happens to be, but it would be a cashless society, which again, even at the most basic level, makes a lot of sense now because um, one of the first things that I noticed happening uh, when all of commerce was still up and running just over a month ago was that people were putting out little signs saying card payments only because cash was seen as a, a, a method of infection, potential route of infection. So yeah. those bullet points i just listed, they fit in with one or both of the overarching agendas that you mentioned, which was um, some kind of economic reset you know a, colla- a collapsing system it just needs to be rebooted and you don't you can that's been the commentary on that since the financial crisis of 0708 has been constant and increasingly uh, shrill and then the other idea of there being all of these uh, incentives and campaigns and regulation designed to reduce our carbon footprint to reduce consumption uh, to make it the human enterprise to shrink that down. Lots of people have that as a legitimate goal. I know many people, myself included, I could see how that might have benefits for the planet. So all of that stuff could feed into either or both of those. So to just relegate it to the realm of conspiracy is, um, is just lazy because I, I and this is why I'm watching all of these things at the minute because I think it's entirely possible that will go down one or more of these routes as a way to achieve one or both of those major goals and that's what I'm expecting actually if I was a betting man I'd put a few quid on that
0: mm, yeah a few carbon dollars yeah I mean it's that the history is is coherent um, doesn't require conspiracy I mean that the, the agendas unfold and that they involve groups and individuals and philosophies and methodologies and systems I mean it's it's, it's self-evident and that they involve conspiracies too conspiracies are one part of it but they're only one part i mean conspiracy in the technical literal sense of people coming together in secret plotting things that are unconstitutional or criminal let's say that's the technical definition of conspiracy which of course goes on all the time in in all countless different fields you only need three people to constitute a conspiracy, right? So in a certain sense, uh, you know, we underestimate, I mean, even the, the most paranoid underestimate just how prevalent conspiracy is. But of course, conspiracy theory today has more or less become uh, equivalent to a grand conspiracy, which is just manipulating global uh, developments, of global global Know, geopolitics, you know, just in a unified way, and it it certainly does tend to ignore uh, the aspect of geopolitics, which is nation states warring for power, and even factions within nations warring for power, and factions that you know are independent of nations, and so on and so forth. Needless to say, it's just a massively complex subject, and one that I'm you know, trying to gradually withdraw from. But and but. Um, one doesn't really need to be overly informed, or to, or to try too hard to make sense of of that whole can of worms, to to see and to uh, and or imagine a bit of both that um, yeah that society does evolve or devolve or degenerate or or shut down your, or, or calcify which i think is close to what we're seeing uh in a in a a coherent fashion just as other organisms not that society is an organism but it is created out of an organism as in the planet by organisms human beings so it's certainly semi-organic society and i would say that um that that's the big picture not some global elite or hidden interdimensional reptilians or extraterrestrial overlords or angelic demonic influences. All those things could be in there, or they might not be. But, um, the, the, human society would, would proceed in a coherent fashion that can be mapped, you know, both after and before, if you see what I mean by that, mm-hmm. um, is is not is is not improbable at all. In fact, I think it's inescapable. It's actually to me it seems logical. Everything else in nature we can see has a coherent um, kind of life cycle. So the same applies for society. So and it it, it's interesting because when we talk about the minutiae, like what's what's the currency going to be and what uh, what's going to happen to the economy and what kind of new laws are passed, um, to try and then see them in the context of uh, some design. Suddenly, it's like, oh my God, it's a conspiracy. But actually, you could say that that's because we haven't pulled back far enough. Because if we pull back far enough, we might see, oh yeah, look, there are conspirators There's Rockefellers and all the usual suspects are in there. But there's there's the planet Earth as well, the ecosystem, and and even the the solar system and it's all sentient and it's all moving in some way towards some end and so yes of course it's it's coherent like life isn't random i don't i don't know anyone but richard dawkins and his cronies believes that it's it's just that's uh it's oxymoronic to say that life is random i think so um so yeah i mean i guess that's that's kind of my message if you like is is that the dark uh, mechanisms of social engineering uh, they are real but they are embedded in a much larger context which is kind of actually explains how they happen but it also in a certain sense redeems them not that they're not destructive and anti-life they are but they're, they are still somehow inseparable from a much larger process we call life itself you know, we're just we're just in the dark about that currently, very much in the dark, I'd say.
1: Yeah, and they're not apart from us. That makes again that's creating an, an us and them dichotomy. But in that sense, we're all part of the same thing, like life itself. So mm. I think that's we could we don't really have time to get into it, but we could start talking about you know our shadow. Jung said you know that which is that which is you know denied in this in the psyche it manifests itself in the world as an event something along those lines you know what we try and suppress rises up somewhere else you know and we see that you know people like making themselves physically ill through stress for example so it's like these things are intimately bound together and so we're part of what's unfolding at the minute and you know maybe we could use that to to end on a positive note because as far as a conspiracy thing goes i i want to influence the future path of human race and the life, life on the planet. Yeah, yeah. I would like to do that, please. I'd like to play a part in that. You know, does that make me some kind
0: of control freak or
1: you know conspirator?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you can't not, can you? We can't not have some influence. So let it be a conscious one that is, uh, uh transmitting love. An awareness, rather than the opposites. I mean, I'm not saying we can just choose that. We can just say I'm going to be loving, but but we can be aware. The more aware we are, more empathically we are aware of not just the influence of the environment and of others on us, but vice versa of our influence, our impact on others and the environment. Um, then uh, the more we'll see the stuff we don't want to see and 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 actually um become more conscious of that shadow as you say which is is always expressing including in inactivity i mean that's that's the cliche isn't it all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing well that's a bit of a dichotomy there but basically the basic principle I, I i i see and i agree with i, I would just I, I would add to that that uh, and it's probably a fitting metaphor that when we talk about the shadow you know whatever's going on in the world that we haven't processed internally or made conscious uh plays out as an event around us that's the sh- our own shadow uh occurring it's a similar principle to the physiological principle that if there is imbalance in the body then it will come out as symptoms and if we if we fight those symptoms simply as something that we want to get free of, um we might fill ourselves with drugs and we might m- manage to somehow uh neutralize them or just put the body to sleep to such an extent that we don't feel the symptoms anymore. but one thing we certainly won't do is is understand what caused the symptoms, so we won't be addressing the imbalance we'll just be addressing you know the effects of some hidden cause so um that yeah, that seems to be the way to reach a positive perspective here is is to um, see what's happening around us as as a reflection of something internally, and then redirecting our attention internally. I, recently, I had the thought that it, it's like a world stigmata, as in the, the human body is manifesting some internal condition on its skin, and so then we're seeing like crop, you know, the dark side of crop circles. We're seeing this. This pattern emerging, this, it's like a chrysalis, really, of this, this, this global lockdown, if we want to call it that, uh, the New World Order, as it's been, you know, uh, branded, uh, is something that's, yeah, emerging from the body, like a tattoo on the, on the surface of the planet. And uh, there's, there's a potential from that to fully acknowledge our pathology, and you know, if you become aware of a pathology, then you're halfway to, to to becoming getting free of it. Well, closing
1: thought from me is: I've read so many books, listened to so many people over the years, uh, thinkers from so many different perspectives and so many different philosophies, um, who wanted to see the world change, convince us that the world could change for the better. And that we're part of an evolutionary process, and that at any given time, how people saw the world, good or bad or indifferent, was a lot to do with their own perspective. But there were trends that you could map. And this people talking about wanting a new world, and it occurred to me that in in many ways, uh, well, now you've got one. You know, anybody listening to this, you wanted a new world. Now you've got one. Isn't what you were hoping for? Isn't what you thought it would be? Well, you know. <laughs> Age of Aquarius not quite panning out how it was supposed to. Well, you know, maybe this is the maybe this is actually the twenty twelve that all those people were spending their time on hilltops or waiting, uh, you know, in the, in the sunrise. But mm-hmm. for my part, this isn't a, what's happening now. Isn't the council of some sort of apathy or despair? If anything, it's uh, for me personally. It's uh, it's it's it provides sort of motivation to re-intensify what I'm what I'm doing to look again, you know, at my beliefs and preconceptions and perceptions and think about, particularly as the years go by. You know, what do I now want to do with the rest of my life? And that might sound like very sort of wrapped in cotton wool and wishy-washy and and like nebulous. And what are you talking about? But I, I feel that all the best way to put it, I think, is that I just feel that the present moment seems very important. Despite what I said earlier about it being just the next moment, you know, like the next punctuation point in history, it still feels like it's important, and that's be based on not on watching the news or looking at numbers of people being ill, but on how I feel what I sense.
0: Hmm. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I've noticed quite a bit of optimism and, and good feeling. Um, I think it's a kind of closure. To a certain extent, and for me, it coincides with the end of a period, or a process, or a project that I call "Mapping Hell." I mean, the, the, the final stages. I, I put a name to it. The last few books I've written, and this this latest one that I'm about to self-publish is called "Maps of Hell" with, as an acknowledgement of that of that process. Um, so yeah, for me, uh, something coming fully into form that I always suspected was there—it um, is a liberating experience, and yeah, it does—it does intensify the focus, just as a, the idea of death does, and particularly you know mass death or, or you know, collective death—that provides very clear contrast. A much clearer contrast in my awareness in terms of uh, what it is that I actually want to do with my life while I still have it and yes it is a bit of a cliche but um, only because so many people have said that and never really meant it and it, it really is very hard to get to a place of fully recognizing without a panic response that we're our time is running out our time is very short possibly for humanity entire, because I do think that this is driving home something true, even if it's by false means, as in even if there isn't a pandemic. I do think it's uh, fair to say, or to, to at least uh, wonder, if humanity isn't on the verge of, of complete destruction at this time I do think this, there, are, there's ev- there was evidence for that well before this supposed pandemic so I think maybe it is reflecting some inner sense that we can't go much further down this particular time